This, oh, this is the mop-up for February 15th, 2024. I'm David Feldman. In New York City, thank you so much for finding me. Republican Congressman Mark Green of Tennessee announced he is not running for re-election. Green chairs the Homeland Security Committee, where the resolution to impeach Homeland Security Chief Alejandro Mayorkas originated and then passed in the full House on Tuesday with a one-vote majority. How ironic would it be if when the House managers walk the articles of impeachment over to the Senate, Chuck Schumer won't let them in? Sorry, there's no room. You all look kind of illegal to me. Go away. Green is 59 and, according to Punchbowl, becomes the fourth Republican committee chair to announce they've had it with Congress and are not running for re-election. North Carolina Republican Patrick McGenry chairs the House Financial Services Committee and served as a temporary speaker after Kevin McCarthy was booted. Well, he's also announced he's packing up his collection of bow ties made from human skin and leaving Washington. I've heard things about this guy. (laughs) And they're not good. I think bow ties made from human skin are the least of our concerns about him. Energy and Commerce Committee Chairwoman Republican Kathy McMorris-Rogers from Washington State says she's done. And Republican Chairwoman of the House Appropriations Committee Kay Granger from the great state of Texas is also quitting. And you know things are bad in Washington when it's even too disgusting for someone from Texas. What's what's making this striking is they are leaving, those four committee chairs are leaving with supposedly immense power. You know, chairing what used to be considered powerful committees. So what's going on? I mean, besides the... Republican crack up. We have 21 Republicans in the House who will not be running for re-election. But it's not a problem that you can explain away by just saying Republicans are insane. You can't say they're controlled by Trump and all the good people are leaving because these aren't good people who are leaving. They're just as bad as the ones who are staying. What's even more striking is more Democrats are quitting the House than Republicans. You've got 23 Democrats now saying they're not running for re-election. So, these members of the House quitting en masse. I'm told, this is what I've been told, it has less to do with the hyper-politicization of Congress. It has less to do with that. Uh, it's not because it's all about our side has to win instead of helping the American people. Because the, the, the ones who are quitting, they don't care about helping the American people. They care about power. And that power has been taken away from them. From what I'm being told, the House of Representatives has an institutional crisis. It's a crisis that eventually confronts all organizations from General Motors to the Catholic Church, to school boards in the Ozarks, 
a concentration of power at the top. All institutions meet the same fate. Power always flows to the top, and it leaves the organization sclerotic, out of touch, and unable to adapt. Members of Congress who are not part of the leadership, well, they have so much less power within their caucus than they did, say, 30 years ago. And the same goes for committee chairs. 30 years ago, the chair of a committee held way more sway when it came to how and when a bill was written and they got to shape the rules on on how that bill made it to the floor. But now both sides of the aisle have taken a top-down approach where it's just the party leadership running the show. Everyone below them is expected to march in lockstep and stay on message because everything now is about top-down messaging from both sides, from the Republicans and the Democrats. If you're not part of the leadership, you have to stay on point, stay on brand. And they try to make staying on point, staying on brand, they, make, they try to make it positive by calling it disciplined, you know, disciplined messaging. For example, when progressive Democrats wouldn't force the vote on Medicare for all, I was for forcing the vote. When when progressive Democrats wouldn't force the vote on Medicare for all, when they didn't force Nancy Pelosi, who was speaker, to take Medicare for all to the floor so we could smoke out the Democrats who were in bed with the for-profit health companies, when People back down when the progressives back down. Beltway pundits marveled at how disciplined Nancy Pelosi's Democrats were. The progressives who backed down were celebrated for being the proverbial adults in the room who didn't question authority. That's not discipline, that's oxygen deprivation. But this is the way of Washington now. Top-down control and no room for dissent within the ranks. Unless, of course, you're part of the Freedom Caucus. Then you get to burn the place down. Literally, you get to burn the place down. Gosar, Andy Biggs, Perry, Jim Jordan, ask them what they were doing on the morning of January 6th. Well, if you look at the $99 billion foreign aid supplemental that just came out of the Senate and it's about to die in the House, there are roughly seven individual bills that have been bundled into it. Seven separate bills that should be going through what is called regular order. Instead, power has been stripped away from committee chairs because seven bills bundled together is too unwieldy. You need someone at the top packaging all seven and negotiating across the aisle and with the other chamber to see what can and can't get done. Regular order, they maintain, is too messy. Well, democracy is messy. And, you know, bundling seven bills into one is even more messy. What's not messy 
are single subject bills with a simple thumbs up and a thumbs down. But that takes power away from the leadership. They take the bills away from the committee chairs, the leadership. They take the bills away from the committee chairs. They go behind closed doors, steering everything directly onto their own laps. Speaker Mike Johnson, House Minority Leader Hakeem Jeffries, and their immediate subordinates, they're the ones working with the Rules Committee, instructing the committee chairs on how to shape these bills. And that is why members are quitting. That's why we're seeing this big quit It's the same reason most of us quit our jobs during COVID. We realized our jobs are basically BS. Most of us, especially if you're part of an organization, you end up asking, what am I doing here? It's why all our members of Congress are either drunk, stoned, or addicted to a type of sex we don't want to talk about. It's a concentration of power in the House that leaves little room for debate within their own ranks. So the committee chairs and regular members of Congress, unless they're you know with the Freedom Caucus, you all have to be a team player, just like at work. Otherwise, the good committee assignments and, more importantly, the campaign donations dry up. Less power for members of Congress means we're gradually ending up with less intelligent lawmakers. If you look at the resumes of the fresh batch of House members who are quitting, even Republicans, it's a lot of PhDs, a lot of Marines, a lot of West Point graduates. They're going they're leaving. And what you're left with are the idiots who stick around. They don't mind being marginalized. You end up with members of Congress who like the trappings of the office. They, they get to talk to the media and make noise and pontificate. They get invited on the cable news networks and you know they get to look and sound important, but they're not. And occasionally they're given stage time to throw temper tantrums on the floor like Chip Roy. You know, he loves screaming, but what he's really screaming is nobody listens to me. Nobody listens to me. I'm not part of the leadership. That's what all the screaming is about. Jim Jordan used to be a screamer, but he got to be chairman of the House Judiciary Committee. He got to run the impeachment probe. They stop screaming when they get power. So we're ending up with low-hanging fruit who are sticking around. I mean, Troy Nels, congressman from Texas, who traffics in racist dog whistles. You got the dentist, Paul Gosar, who his own family isn't talking to Paul Gosar. You got... uh, well, she's normal, Marjorie Taylor Greene. I, I, I think she, she, there's room for improvement, but I think she's a, a scholar. And of course, Lauren Boebert, a, a great mind. Uh, yeah, these people uh, are so stupid, they actually think they matter. They don't. They just make noise. 
That's all they are. They're just noise. Because it's all top-down. And money also gets dispersed top-down. The leadership now, I'm being told, is recruiting candidates who will come to Washington if they promise not to be a pain in the ass. This is why people say, have you ever thought of running for office? They would never allow me to. I, I couldn't keep my mouth shut and lower my head. That's, that's how you get recruited to be a, a member of Congress. You have to be willing to put your head down and do what you're told. Top-down management. So the candidates being recruited from both sides are chosen because they're non-threatening tools who are more interested in the status that comes with simply being a member of Congress and, of course, what comes after being a member of Congress. That's what they care about. They don't care about working for their constituents. That's who who is being recruited. Uh, people who are willing to do the time until something better comes along. Do not make waves. Now, you, you know, that's human nature. The people in charge... Think about your work. The person in charge is always saying, I'm looking for the most talented person who has no talent and won't threaten me. They never hire the most talented person. They hire the least threatening because it that's what top-down management, that's human nature. And that's why institutions die. That's why corporations and organizations die everything is better when it's the bottom up oh i left out nancy mace and i'll say one thing about matt gates he did fight the system the left could use a matt gates he did try to restore regular order and while he didn't get it he did destroy kevin mccarthy in the process it would be nice to, to see members of the squad behaving like Matt Gates, but the top-down management seems to break everyone down. There are the rarities. They tend to be in the Freedom Caucus. But if you look at the squad, and again, I love the squad. Uh, they do make a stink, but not a really smelly one. You know, we need House members like Matt Gates. Uh, the, the squad has been strong on Gaza, but like everyone, they get sucked into the, the Democratic Party vortex. And they are told institutionally that if you try to be a star, we're going to crush you. It's exactly what happens in all corporations. And that's why it's happening in Congress, because Congress is controlled by corporations, what we are saying in this corporatized Congress, and, and anyone, again, anybody who's ever worked for a corporation, you know what I'm talking about. It's a death sentence. It, it, it's, you know, it's the golden handcuffs, the velvet handcuffs. People look at you from the outside and think, oh, you have a good job, right? You have to shave to go to work. You, wear, you have to wear nice clothes and you go to an office and you look like a respectable member of the community. You're carrying a briefcase. But behind closed doors, it's a rudderless existence with zero control 
over your time and energy. You're dying inside because you know it's all a charade. That's why all these members of Congress are heading for the exits. The year is still young. You know, it's only February, and we've, <laughs> we've lost close to 50. We've lost close to 50 so far. The Kansas City Chiefs Super Bowl victory parade ended on Wednesday with one person dead and 21 injured, nine of whom were children. That was after someone opened fire near the town's famed Union Station. A disc jockey with KKFI was killed, and the exact count of those injured is still being determined. 800 police officers were assigned the parade route, but were unable to stop the bad guy with the gun. 800 good guys couldn't stop one bad guy with a gun. Kansas City Police Chief Stacy Graves said three suspects have been taken in for questioning, but they're not sure who fired the shots. Now, because this is America, and I love this country, right or wrong, we need to put the shooting into perspective. A lot of people now are saying, guns, they ruined the Super Bowl celebration. The Chiefs had this great Super Bowl celebration and guns ruined it. Well, I'm not going to let that happen because I did the math. And if you do the math, the entire parade yesterday was a, it was a success. Hear me out. And remember, this is America, not some civilized country that has gun control. This is America. So get out your calculator. Do the math with me. You had one million fans showing up for Wednesday's Super Bowl parade in Missouri. One out of one million Americans, one person shot to death and 21 injured, including nine children. Granted, to a civilized society, that would seem excessive. But here in America, come on, that's only one person shot to death out of a million. I get it. You know, if you're watching us overseas in a civilized nation, you might consider this a tragedy. But here in America, that's pretty good. Pretty good. Now, I'm just working off actuarial tables. And for my calculations, one person ending up shot to death while one million Americans gathered for a Super Bowl parade, that's below average. It's one out of a million. I mean, given that this is America, an argument could be made that that parade went off without any major incidents. We're talking about Missouri, Kansas City. Missouri averages 1,288 gun homicides a year with roughly 2,313 additional citizens wounded. I'm not talking suicides. 1,288 gun homicides. It's the cost of doing business. Guns are a big business, a growing sector of our economy. So you have to factor this in. Missouri has the fifth highest rate of gun homicides in America. In the past decade, gun homicides in Missouri have jumped 
130% twice the national average. What does that mean? It means Missouri gun dealers are bringing a lot of money into the state. Missouri has the fifth highest number of gun homicides. The guns work. They're selling good guns in Missouri. If you're looking to buy a gun, you, you can't go wrong shopping in Missouri. That's why I'm going to have to say, as a proud American, the Super Bowl parade on Tuesday, or Wednesday, I'm sorry, Wednesday, uh, the Super Bowl parade on Wednesday, in terms of crowd safety, major success for America. Major success. According to every town, gun violence costs the state of Missouri close to $20 billion a year. Hey, I'm a big government spender. I'm a Keynesian, and that's $20 billion stimulating the economy. It goes in the pockets of nurses, morticians, overtime for cops, medics, ambulance drivers. So let's get back to why Wednesday Super Bowl parade was a major success in terms of crowd safety. There are, on average, 10 gun homicides for every 100,000 people living in Missouri. Get out your calculator. We should be celebrating the parade. This is good news. There are, on average, 10 gun homicides for every 100,000 people living in Missouri. Yesterday, you had a million Kansas City Chief fans all gathering to cheer on their champion team. One million! Odds are that because it's Missouri, 100 of them are going to get shot to death this year. 10 guns, 10 gun deaths per 100,000. You got 1 million people. That means of those 1 million gathered, 100 of them are going to get shot to death this year. So clearly, you can see that yesterday's parade could have been so much worse. We didn't end up with 100 Missourians all getting shot to death at the parade. That would have been a bloodbath. We just had one. Which, I don't know, considering this is America and that's Missouri, pretty good. And because only one out of the 100 Missourians are going to get shot to death this year died. Only one of the 100 of the people in the parade who are scheduled to get shot to death this year. It now looks as though the 99 other Missourians who attended that parade and are scheduled to get shot to death this year will get shot to death gradually over, over the next couple of months. I think that's way more acceptable. It was just working off the actuarial tables. I got to say, in terms of crowd safety, that Super Bowl parade was a huge success. But, but I'll tell you what would have made that parade even safer. More guns. More, gu- more people carrying guns. You know what they needed? 
It was a parade. They should have brought in Kyle Rittenhouse as the Grand Marshal. And maybe he could have brought along some AR-15s. So anyone who fantasizes about being a cop, hand them out. That would have made everyone safer. That's what the parade yesterday needed. Because... Think about this. When you have a million people gathered for a parade and someone opens fire indiscriminately and you have no idea where the shots are coming from or who's firing them, you need lots and lots and lots of good guys with guns outnumbering that one bad guy with a gun. I'm telling you, that's the recipe for preventing gun violence. Thousands and thousands and thousands of gun-toting, Kyle Rittenhouses, pistols drawn, AR-15s drawn, fingers on the hair trigger, crowdsourcing where the shots are coming from. That's civilized. They, They still don't know who the shooter was. But if you had thousands and thousands of Missourians crowdsourcing and ready to shoot when they figured out where the shots were coming from, much safer. Well, that's what Wayne LaPierre suggests after every mass shooting. After every mass shooting, Wayne LaPierre says the salute, more guns. Uvalde, more guns, the teachers, the students. The shooter needs more guns. If the shooter had more guns, he would have killed himself sooner. The solution is just sell more guns. Sell guns. That's what Wayne LaPierre always says. And up until two weeks ago, he was the face of the National Rifle Association. So he must know what he's talking about. The National Rifle Association donated... $30 million to Donald Trump's 2016 presidential campaign, more than any other super PAC or lobbyist. And a lot of that money, Senate investigators believe, came from Russia, which used the NRA as a pass-through organization to get the money from Russia to Trump. Because while it's legal for Russia to give money to the National Rifle Association, it's against the law for Russia to donate to Trump. The NRA, according to Senate findings, was a Russian asset. And according to Senate investigators, the NRA served as a pass-through corporation, a non-profit, tax-exempt, 501c3, It was a pass-through for Vladimir Putin. And then Wayne LaPierre made sure the NRA served as a pass-through corporation for himself. Wayne LaPierre, who just stepped down after leading the NRA for more than three decades, is on trial for fraud right now in a New York City courtroom. New York State Attorney General Letitia James is suing Wayne LaPierre as well as two other NRA executives, charging LaPierre with pocketing tens of millions of dollars donated to the National Rifle Association. They think 
Wayne LaPierre made off with about $45 million, treating himself to luxury vacations, suits, stylists, private jets, and down payments on homes. LaPierre took the stand yet again on Tuesday and Wednesday of this week. And he's a broken man. He's a broken man. As is the NRA. According to NRA Watch, which has been covering the trial extensively, I'm amazed that nobody's covering this trial. Uh, According to NRA Watch, on the stand, LaPierre defended his $17 million retirement package that he awarded himself when he stepped down. He quit on February 1st, and he was supposed to walk away (laughs) with a $17 million retirement, as if he hadn't stole enough. He gave himself a $17 million retirement package, and he was asked about that on the stand. He said, well, everyone agreed paying me that was in the best interest of the NRA. Yes, if by NRA you mean Wayne LaPierre. He just could rubber stamp his own raises, but that package has since been stripped from him. Poor baby. He's not going to get the $17 million. And uh, the jury is listening. Who knows what they're going to fine him. They, They may break him. They may make him pay back $45 million. Now, the, the best part of this, I mean, th- there's so much to enjoy about this. The fact that Wayne LaPierre is a broken man, exposed as the, the, the murderous huckster he's always been. But the best part is LaPierre openly admitting that he hates guns. He's terrified of guns. Every time they get him on the stand, he just spills about how terrified he is of guns and of getting shot. He said, he, I live in complete and total fear of getting shot, which is why I, I had to fly private and take holidays in undisclosed locations and go on $250,000 shopping sprees for suits on Rodeo Drive. He had to hire private security because he's terrified of getting shot. All that because he's terrified of getting shot. You know, you, I don't know, Wayne, you could take your own advice and just carry a gun. I'm pretty sure that's what you've drummed into the national narrative, right? A gun will will keep you safe. That's all anyone needs, except apparently the guy telling us that. Closing arguments begin later today. Unfortunately, it's a civil trial, so as of yet... Wayne LaPierre won't be looking at any prison time for stealing all that money from the NRA. And he won't ever be prosecuted for, he's been there for 30 years. How many millions of people have died for his trade association for gun makers? That's what he is. He's just a a gun salesman. In 20 cities across America, Canada, and Great Britain, uh, drivers for Uber staged a one-day walkout, drawing attention to their low, low, low wages. According to the Los Angeles Times, on a $100 ride, 
Uber will collect 50%, while the driver gets the other half, but he's stuck paying for gas, upkeep on the car, the insurance, the tolls. California, Uber drivers are considered independent contractors who are not entitled to the same health and pension benefits as a salaried employee. Uber fought very hard to make that so. Now, Uber, despite being able to take 50% off the top, last quarter, for the first time in 15 years, it finally showed a profit. 15 years, I talked about this a couple of shows ago. 15 years, it finally turned a profit. After ripping off drivers for 15 years, I mean, you're, you're, you're basically stealing from your drivers and you still can't turn a profit. Immoral people are stupid. Being immoral is inefficient. Well, they made a profit finally after 15 years. Uber stock yesterday jumped more than 14%. Why? Because the company announced it was spending that profit, about $7 billion, on stock buybacks, which does nothing for the company other than use those profits to artificially inflate the share price by reducing the number of outstanding shares. This is, by definition, market manipulation. And it used to be against the law until Ronald Reagan became president and decided to deregulate Wall Street. And by deregulate Wall Street, allow corporations to manipulate the market and commit crimes. It used to be illegal. Reagan became president. And then a lot of things that used to be illegal suddenly became legal, all in the name of deregulation. Stock buybacks take cash that's sitting in, in the, the company's coffer, cash that would normally be paid to shareholders as dividends that could then be taxed so the government could get its taste. No cash. Cash that would normally be used to, I don't know, give a livable wage and health care to your drivers. Cash that could be used to invest in the company's future. No. Instead, the cash is wasted, spent on buying back outstanding shares of the stock. And then, and this is where the market manipulation comes in, they retire those shares. They buy back the shares and then they no longer exist. And that means there are fewer shares to purchase on the open market. It creates a false demand, which juices the price of the stock. Again, stock buybacks were illegal until Reagan became president. A lot of things were illegal until Reagan became president. Ronald Reagan should have been illegal. 1,700 workers at Disneyland in Anaheim, California, informed the National Labor Relations Board that they intend to unionize. 
since many of these workers perform in Disneyland parades and dress as characters, they are referred to as cast members. And so they've joined forces with Actors' Equity. Actors' Equity is expected to stage a vote under the guidance of the National Labor Relations Board. And if a majority of the workers vote in favor of the union, then by law, Disney must sit down and iron out a contract. Otherwise, they can be fined as much as several hundred dollars a week. I mean, Amazon won't negotiate with the Amazon labor union. Starbucks won't negotiate with the Starbucks union. And the NLRB is flexing all the muscle it has. And Amazon and Starbucks, they're paying like a couple of hundred dollars a week in fines. It's killing them. Absolutely killing them. Well, a spokesperson for Disney told the Los Angeles Times, we believe that our cast members deserve to have all the facts and the right to a confidential vote that recognizes their individual choices. Wow, that's just, that's like just taken out of the tobacco manufacturer's playbook. Have all the facts and know about your individual choices. We have to protect your choice. It should be a choice to uh, join a union. You have a choice. You can not join a union or join a union and we'll fire you. It's a choice. A, I don't mean to ruin Disney for you, but a new report, and most of you know this, a new report shows that a vast number of Disneyland employees rely on food stamps, which means we're subsidizing Disneyland. It's even more expensive for us. It's already expensive. Now we're feeding their employees who often end up sleeping in their cars because they can't afford rent. And of course, health insurance, out of the question. Japan's economy. I want, I want you to pay attention to this, please. Okay, because this is about the Republicans, the border bill, bigotry, racism, and the great replacement theory. So uh, please pay attention to this. Japan's economy has once again dipped into recession, and that's two consecutive quarters of negative growth. Japan has a serious problem. It has an aging population as all first world countries do. Its citizens are living longer, but they're not making enough babies. And because Japan is an island, they don't have too many migrants landing on their shores to help them out. This is a fact. Japan's prime minister calls Japan's shrinking population a crisis, a crisis. The total number of Japanese citizens has dropped by nearly one million people. This is a crisis for Japan, an economic crisis. It's put them into a recession and it's going to get worse. Rich countries don't have enough babies and without enough citizens, 
when you have an aging population that's living longer and longer and doesn't want to work, and you don't have enough younger citizens, that means you don't have enough workers to sustain the social safety net and, of course, grow the economy. This is why, once again, Japan is dipping into recession. So, Japan has a population crisis, a population implosion. And America is approaching one as well. In the next decade, the American population is expected to decrease while at the same time get increasingly older. Who is going to keep our economy and our social safety net afloat? Well, they're down at the border, but we won't let them in because they're brown, because of the Great Replacement Theory, because Republicans see these brown people coming in and displacing white people, terrified white people who live in abject fear that they are going to be the minority. That's what's going on. Now, I've tried to talk to some white people about this, white Republicans. You can't argue with bigots and racists who are uh, terrified, who, who, it's kind of funny, uh, but it's dangerous. But it is kind of funny that somebody thinks they're (laughs) they're special because they're white. And they're losing their privilege. Like, that's their, that's their thing. You know, Steven Spielberg wins a, an Oscar. Uh, my white Republican friend, I'm white. That's his accomplishment in life. And, and he's worried somebody's going to take this away, from, that these migrants, these brown people, are going to take away his white privilege. I, it's really, you know... If you're worried uh, about brown people displacing you, you should be displaced. <laughs> Seriously, you're worthless. You're of no value to our society. If, if, you're, you're, if your pride is that... <laughs> it's funny because it's tragic. So, all right. I, I do have some Trump voters who listen to this show. Uh, So let me go over this. I welcome your emails. Every economist, every corporate CEO, and every politician knows that unless we bring these migrants in, our economy will implode. God is giving us a gift. These migrants are a gift. We have a problem, and God is giving us these migrants, and we're spitting in God's face. You can't explain this to an aggrieved white man, because Fox News, Trump, 
and the right wing has ginned up so much hatred and bigotry, and along with that, a certainty that it's impossible to introduce Economics 101 into the political discourse. And of course, it's impossible to introduce human decency. These migrants have been turned into a political football by Greg Abbott and Ron DeSantis. Greg Abbott, the governor of Texas, Ron DeSantis, uh, the Uberfuhrer of Miami. Uh, They've spent tens of millions of dollars putting frightened women, children, and men on buses and sending them off to San Francisco, Martha's Vineyard, and New York City, deep blue cities, to make a point, to punish Democrats, uh, and of course to punish the migrants. If Greg Abbott were not a sadist, he would put the migrants on buses to Pittsburgh or Kansas or all the other cities throughout America begging for these migrants. There are countless counties and cities and states in this country with millions of jobs that are going unfilled. And they're saying, give us your migrants. Now, I know it's become impossible to introduce basic economics into political discourse. But I'm going to try. I'm going to try to do this. I know we have some Trump supporters, and they're going to write to me. Look up the multiplier effect. It's, It's very simple, basic economics. You know, I think they... I think they teach it like in eighth grade, which means a lot of you Trump supporters came so close to learning it. If only you had stayed past the fourth grade and gotten into the eighth grade, you would have learned about the multiplier effect. But it, it, it's, it's common sense. Okay, a dollar bill, all right? Picture a dollar bill. This is the multiplier effect. This is, so when you say we can't afford the migrants. I'm telling you, with, I'm going to explain the multiplier effect, and you'll, now nah, you're a Trump supporter, you won't understand. But if you weren't poisoned by Trump's bigotry and racism and fear, you would understand that when you give a dollar to a migrant, help them get up on their feet, they immediately spend that one dollar on shoes, let's say. And that dollar that goes for the shoes is immediately spent on paying the shoe store salesperson who sold the shoes. And that that same dollar, we're talking about the same exact dollar, let's follow this dollar. The salesperson who gets that dollar that went from the government or a charity to a migrant to the shoe store to the shoe store owner, to the sales person. That salesperson takes that dollar. That dollar has now changed hands four or five times. This is the multiplier effect. It's one dollar. 
The salesperson goes across the street to buy a cup of coffee, puts that dollar in the tip jar, and then the person who poured the coffee takes that same dollar out of the tip jar to walk across the street to buy a pair of shoes from the very same person who sold those shoes to the migrants. You see how it works? That's the multiplier effect. One dollar becomes ten dollars, a hundred dollars. It increases eventually exponentially. That's the multiplier effect. It keeps getting passed around until it falls into the hands of a billionaire who hoards it. Mine. Nobody can have it. It's mine. Billionaires don't spend money. They hoard money. And while this dollar bill, I'm, I'm trying not to be cruel to Trump supporters, to bigots, to racists, to frightened, aggrieved white people. Okay? That one dollar, you effing moron, you stupid effing racist moron, that one dollar gets passed around and passed around and passed around. And our government keeps skimming off the top. Every time that dollar gets handed to somebody else, 100,000, 100,000 times, the local government, the state government, and the federal government is skimming off the, the top. Sales taxes, income taxes. Uh, more people in this country increase the velocity of money. The quicker money gets passed around, the more there is. I don't know, you want to call it karma? It's the karma of money? Uh, Hello Dolly said money is like fertilizer, you got to spread it around. If you invest a few thousand dollars on a migrant family, get them up on their feet. Over the span of, say, 30 years, they will bring back to the government millions and millions of dollars in tax revenue. Plus, they will grow the economy. And anyone who knows eighth grade economics would tell you this, but they can't. Because this isn't about whether or not America can afford the migrants. This is about brown people replacing white people. And there's nothing you can tell a bigot, a frightened, racist, illiterate, dangerous, Trump-supporting, Fox-watching Republican bigot. They're, uh, you know, human nature, if you look at this country, I would say about 30% of any country, you're going to have your racists, your xenophobes, your illiterate bigots, your, here, they're the America firsters, and they found a, what they think is a home in the Republican Party. And unfortunately, 
uh, we've allowed them in many ways to control the narrative, the lie that there's a crisis at the border. It is a gift from God. These migrants are a gift from God. We have a population, an impending population crisis. We can end up like Japan and sink into a recession, or we can say, thank you, God. Thank you. You make the flowers bloom, you make the sun rise, and you gave us these migrants. Thank you, God. Now we're going to distribute them, take care of them, spread them around the country where they're needed, and they're going to work and pay taxes and buy things and support us in our old age. Thank you, God. Thank you for the gift at the border. There is plenty of room in America for these migrants. And I don't know why people aren't saying this. I don't know when we have to put up with the impeachment of Alejandro Mayorkas. I don't understand why the Democrats play along with the lie of the crisis at the border, why they won't teach the American people that it's not a crisis, it's a gift. I think Joe Biden's going to win. I do. I don't think it's going to be easy. If he wants to win big in November, he's got to do what Franklin Roosevelt did. He's got to do what Bobby Kennedy did. Appeal to our better angels and explain. Teach the American people. That's what leadership is. Leadership is education. Franklin Roosevelt used the power of this new medium, radio, for his fireside chats. And he would explain the banking system to my stupid, ignorant, lice-infected grandparents who came through Ellis Island. Uh, those migrants are my four grandparents. And Franklin Roosevelt, uh, they listened to him on the radio, and he taught them about the banking system, the Lend-Lease program, about lending, you know, your neighbor's house is on fire, so you lend him a fire hose. He, he, Franklin Roosevelt was able to explain to the American people why we needed to help Great Britain before we got into World War II, why he had to shut down the banks. That's leadership. Teaching the American people, not telling them what they want to hear, not firing them up and getting them angry and scared. Leadership is education, not accepting the stupidity of the American people Because when you accept the stupidity of the American people, everyone gets dumber. We should be getting down on our hands and knees and thanking God for these migrants. And if you disagree with me, you are either an intellectual coward, in which case you're immoral, or you're a hateful bigot. And that is the truth.
as sure as the sun will rise tomorrow, that is the truth. And I'm not interested in what anyone has to say on this. The same way I'm not interested in what anyone has to say about climate catastrophe. You either know the truth about these migrants or you don't. I'm David Feldman reminding you to stay strong and protect the weak. Thank you for listening. We didn't do a poll today. I'm going to do another show, another live show tomorrow. I'm picking up my game. Thank you for joining me, and I will see everybody tomorrow. 